you have to articulate, at least to yourself and to Steve, if he asks, who do you want to serve? What is this clientele you want to serve? Hopefully it's overlapping with people you know how to serve a little bit. Sure. And number two, what do you want to do for them? And if you're being critical of the firm where you now are, what could you do better? You're listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host, Steve Fretzen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Be That Lawyer. I am Steve Fretzen, your host, and I'm just so happy that you're joining me today. As you know, Fretzen focuses on helping lawyers with really two things. Number one is we help them through coaching and training programs that dramatically increase their ability to grow business in an efficient way. And the second thing we do is we do Rainmaker Roundtables and Business Development Roundtables, where we allow lawyers to work together as a team to help each other solve problems and work together for accountability and not feel so alone or stuck. You have people in your corner and there are other lawyers that do other things and everyone's highly ambitious and ready to rock and roll. So if any of those sound like they might be of interest to you, feel free to check out my website at fretson.com or reach out to me directly at steve at fretson.com. Happy to chat. And now on to bigger and better and more wonderful things. I have an old friend of mine from many years ago that I reconnected with. And the reason is, is because he's awesome. And I know he's going to add a lot of value in your life and, and give you a lot of great takeaways. He is the co-founding partner of Edge International. He's the author of The Successful Lawyer. He's been doing this for 38 years and probably then some. I'd like to introduce Jerry Riskin. How's it going, Jerry? It's going well. How are you, Steve? I'm doing just swell. We're finally getting some decent weather in Chicago and things are looking up. So I appreciate that. So how about yourself? What's happening in your neck of the woods? It is gorgeous in Anguilla, British West Indies. Unless we get a storm that will kill us. It is usually. <laughs> There's that one small beautiful. thing, that, that whole yeah. thing. But other than that. Other than that, and I know I share with the world that we're all a little tired of fighting this pandemic, and my little global consultancy includes a, a colleague in India, and I learned even more early this morning my time, the challenges they're facing, so I wish everyone in India and everywhere else that's really struggling right now and suffering, I wish them the best. Yeah. Absolutely, and hopefully this whole thing will be in our rearview mirror in the next six months. So that's fingers crossed. But Jerry, back to you. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Give a Reader's Digest version because you've got quite a pretty amazing background in the legal space. Well, when I was 11 years old, for reasons we don't have to dive into, I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. I had to be a lawyer. It wasn't a choice. At 11 years old, really? 11, 11 years nice. of age. And, nice. And everything I did since every class I chose, every counselor I spoke to about options I had, every every decision I made regarding pre-law, uh, which school, all that, every decision was predicated on the fact that I had to be a lawyer. Well, that came to be, and that's wonderful. But on the way, in my business school, I got very much into marketing, psychology, sociology, organizational development, in addition to all the math. And I fell in love with that stuff. And so when I was privileged to article, I'm a Canadian lawyer, so I articled with a hundred year old wonderful firm 
I realized that as good as they were, and then they were the best, they were the best you were ever going to find, even to this day. They didn't really have any idea what business was or what those business books were talking about. So I'll give you a kind of an interim punchline. I think you're talking to an interpreter because after practicing law for the better part of 20 years, being a managing partner of a Canadian and Hong Kong law firm and founding Edge International, which is a global consultancy. When people ask me what I do, I more than anything else interpret business principles in a way that the leaders of law firms can assimilate comfortably. Hmm. Well, that's a very interesting kind of roundabout way to get there. But when you have all that experience and background, then, you know, it allows for you to really take ownership of how you're going to help people. And so uh, I'd love to hear about what Edge International does. What do you do? What does it mean consultancy? Can you define that further for the audience? Yes, I'm pleased to do that. I, I guess in a sense, we're like the old country doctor, because if it involves a law firm, how it's structured, how it's governed, how it competes for clients, how it satisfies its clients, how it holds its culture together, et cetera, then it's in our world. And I'm privileged to have a team of superstars, I'm not exaggerating, with amazing backgrounds and we collaborate globally on our assignments and it's just so much fun and so rewarding. And I will add this, unlike some, who want to serve the legal profession because I think it might be lucrative. I serve the legal profession because I love the legal profession. And my heart goes out to those who are struggling and find it harder and harder to do what lawyers need to do. So it's, it's a passion and I'm privileged to do it. Well, my heart goes out too. And so does my content. <laughs> That's why we're doing this show. You know, it's, it's all the lawyers out there that are feeling alone and they're feeling like, you know, this is really hard stuff. And can we make it digestible? Can we make it easier for them to figure out that you know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out how to go and, and be an effective networker or develop, you know, relationships. So, uh, but, you know, I guess the grand scheme of things, I mean, how have you seen the law firm the practice of law in law firms change in the last 20 years? Like what's been the big thing that sweeping change that you've seen in that time? Well, I don't like to focus just on the bigger firms, but they lead in certain ways. They've become far more specialized. They've learned that uh, organizing into more niche practice groups and doing that better, understanding industries better, accrues to their benefit. The sadness I have is that the new lawyers in, in, and you know, I don't want to sound like that old guy, but still, the new lawyers are not getting enough experience across a spectrum of practice areas. Because darn it, when the patient walks into the doctor's office, the patient wants to know, can you help me as a person? Not okay, I know you specialize in toes. And so when you deal with my big toe, I know we'll be done. It's not good enough. And I'll give you one quick punchline on that. I have represented leaders of law firms who almost got criminally charged by having no idea what criminal law was, no idea that if they bent the rules a little bit trying to settle a matter, a civil matter, on behalf of a client, that they were getting into interference with the administration of justice or even extortion. So I'm enthusiastic about, hey, could we still allow lawyers to have a good cross-section of education and experience so they know what the patient is and they know when to call in the specialists. 
and I think, you know, my father came up in the 70s, 80s and 90s practicing law and being a generalist, but being a really good generalist. I mean, understanding most areas of law fairly well and the stuff that was highly specialized, you know, he would always farm out. And that seems to really have gone away. And I think there's a reason why, right? I mean, specialization is sort of the hot ticket here. But that doesn't mean you have to be ignorant to the other areas that circle you or surround you, right? Is that kind of the gist? Yeah. And, and let's shine a light on something that's not as beautiful as maybe we would like. And that is the pressure. The pressure is to bill, have those billable hours, have that revenue. And back in your dad's prime practice days, uh, and it sounds just wonderful in terms of his perspective, if he needed to bring somebody onto the team, either from a different jurisdiction geographically or for a different specialty, he would do it because that's what he perceived a great lawyer would do. And today, would our firm be upset with us if we talked about, you know, utilizing a lawyer from a different firm with a specialty and having them clock billable hours? It gets to be a little tough. Yeah, so, they probably just want to figure out how to do it internally, even if they don't have the exact specialist. It's also a cultural thing. I mean, in Canada, uh, back in my early days, you would not think of doing a matter in a different province without having a lawyer from that province. So if we use the word state uh, in today's terms, a lawyer in state number three is going to do anything it takes to do anything in any state. Yeah, It's okay. <laughs> is not, not going to farm stuff out. And that's not really beneficial to the profession. But I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because 99% of our lawyers are great. They're trying to do the right thing and they are doing great stuff. So I'm not going to go negative here. Okay. All right. I think that's a good direction for us to go. And it's a good lead into to an article that I read of yours lately that was leadership agility in the face of fragility. And I wanted to just ask you about why some leaders fail and others succeed? What's making a great law firm leader today? And what is the problem with some leaders that are trying to run firms? Well, cutting to the chase, I think that many of our leaders suffer from having been uh, given beautiful minds. They are so intelligent. They think so well. They're so articulate. They can persuade. What they try to do is think through everything and try to make the right decisions and do the right things. They're not as good at listening. They're not as good at observing. So, for example, the article to which you refer certainly was the result of this pandemic in large measure. And the fact of the matter is that the world was thrown into chaos and many leaders simply tried to intellectually plow through it. So some of them managed by email. Horrible mistake. Some of them insulted their teams, not meaning to just being insensitive to what those team members were facing. Yeah. And so what were some, let's keep it positive then. What were, what are some of the attributes that you observe in successful leaders, leaders that, so you said listening, understanding, observing, and how do they put that into practice in running a firm? They put that into practice by the manner or the way in which they manage for, for example, I, I, I made fun of managing by email or memo, that just, just a horrible mistake. So what's the positive story? The positive story is managing by communicating with people. And communication is a two-way street. If I ask you, Steve, how are you? And let's just play. How sure. are you, Steve? I'm doing wonderfully, thank you. How are you? 
I'm doing well too. Thank you, Steve. I care about you. You you mentioned you and I've known each other a long time. We're friends reunited. What's been the toughest part of this pandemic in terms of you personally? What's the toughest part you've had to endure? Uh, don't have a real dark path to go down with that, but I would say it's just been disconnected from people. I think I'm a, I'm not a hugger, but I definitely like physical contact. I like shaking hands. I like interacting with people and engaging them with in close quarters and, you know, uh, especially my clients. And so I, that's really been in my family, you know, that's been a bit of a problem, obviously. So I won't go too much further. I promise I'll go one more little inch when you can't have that intimacy, even that, those hugs, for what has become a protracted, protracted period of time, how does that weigh on you? How does that make you feel? Uh, isolated and, you know, a little insular and I'm hiding out in my little man cave office, you know, not getting the social interaction that I crave as an extrovert and as someone who likes to be out in front of people. So it's been, I think maybe I'm, you know, that's possible if we want to get into the psychology of it, I might be bearing some emotions that, you know, <laughs> can show itself in various ways. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. So, Steve, thank you. Thank you, because you, 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 you opened up and so on. And for the listeners, where did we just go? We started with how are you doing? Fine. You're doing well. I'm doing well. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. But I, I just probed a little bit. And you weren't sure how far you wanted to go. In fact, you, you, you didn't even want the idea of the dark path. You didn't even think I have a dark path. But when I gently pushed with caring, there was at least something that, that wasn't the most wonderful that was going on. It's been protracted and it has a bit of an effect on you. OK, what's the punchline here? If you and I work together in the same firm day in, day out, if you were my managing partner or I yours, or we were in the same group or whatever, that's the point. We need to relate to our people with enough depth that we honestly understand what they're enduring. Because, because we want peak performance from them. We want them to remain at their very best. But in order to do that, they have to believe of us that we care about them and we're being considerate and we're appreciative so if one of our team members works their tail off let's say if steve again using use the example you know you produce so much high quality product that your podcast is fantastic i knowing i would be gone i had a little listen and the content is amazing and you're a brilliant host and you're a brilliant questioner so here you are producing, and you said a moment ago that you're producing quality for those lawyers who are listening to this who want to know, how do I do stuff? How do I get by if I'm feeling a little alone and a little isolated? So see how that all comes together. If we have any, yeah, go ahead. It does, Jerry, but I think what you're talking about is I mean, I have to believe that's a learn. I mean, I teach it in business development because lawyers want to go in and solve and lawyers want to go in and pitch. And that's what they're driven to do. Lock up that business. And I'm teaching the very opposite. I'm teaching things like listening, understanding, questioning, empathy, you know, skills that that connect you with the prospective client, not sell the prospective client. And you're talking about doing this as a managing partner, as a partner, as a friend within the firm and connecting people. And I teach it as a skill. Is this something that lawyers need to learn? And because I don't know that many do managing partners, I don't know what the percentage is, 25% or 50. 
that they're able to do this or even think about doing this kind of an approach or connecting at that kind of level? You know, I, I know I'm an optimist and I told you I love the profession. I'm going to give you a quick example from the strategy world. And by the way, I think, Steve, when you're counseling the folks you're helping with business development, you're teaching them the things you just listed, that you are enlightening them and exposing them. And that's kind of where my punchline is going. I have a slide that I show at the early stages of a strategic assignment. And I say, these are our default propensities as lawyers. We're critical and we're analytical. We, we hunt for risk with a fragrance of risk. It gets us excited and we don't like it. We hate it. And if somebody gives us or postulates a theory, we will, our mind will take us to how and in what circumstances might that be wrong, right? Okay, that, that's a default pattern. It makes us obnoxious at social functions, drives our significant others mad, even children, if we have them. So, so I, I show that, but then I show the other list. What about the entrepreneur, the business person, perhaps, that we're allowed to serve if we have such clients? How do they come at this? Well, they're critical and analytical, but not until after they've assimilated some information and explored whether there's any benefit to this cockamamie idea that they just heard. Maybe there's some value there. They also understand risk. So, for example, I'm not sure what the right thing is to do, but I'm not going to bet the farm and I'm not going to take the firm down, but I might try something. I might on a limited scope basis and let's just see how people react to it. Now, getting to the point, mercifully, with those two lists, this is our lawyer brain, if I can put it that way, and this is our entrepreneurial brain. I postulate, I look at my clients and I say, guess what? You can toggle between these two lists as fast as you can snap your finger. It is just a matter of your being willing to do it. And I have managing partners who, for whom I've done this process who indeed start meetings on certain subjects by saying, we're starting with risk and slide. And, and this is a business meeting. It's not a lawyer meeting. So let's remember what the rules are here. So that's my optimistic approach. I think, and by the way, uh, I, I do need one little punchline more. If you're operating me on me in the morning, if you're opening me up and taking my appendix out, I want you to be a perfectionist and I want you to be critical and analytical as heck. And I don't want you experimenting. Thank you very much. Experiment somewhere else. You just <laughs> you just get this done right. So I get that in the heat of the moment, we're not going to be this businessy type person. And no, that's our substantive law. That's when we practice law. But on the business side of law or leadership or marketing, or as you touch on business development, now, could we please at least benefit from what we can learn from business people out there and what works for them? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of lawyers that are interested in business outside of practicing the law. There's a lot of lawyers getting into more entrepreneurial endeavors. I, a lot of the lawyers like yourself that, you know, love the law, practice the law, and then they take that insight and that experience, and then they pull out that entrepreneurial kind of costume or, you know, they want to play on the other side and they get into a business and they can be very successful in translating some of those skills. If they can unleash the entrepreneurial skills that also, you know, like you said, toggling between the two. So that's something I'm seeing quite a bit of. And a lot of people who are opening their own firms or that are running small firms, they're running a business. It's yes, it's the business of law, but you're running a business. And so you got to pull out that entrepreneurial, put on the hat or toggle over, as you're saying, 
Otherwise, you know, you're going to have a real struggle. And many of those young lawyers that are opening their own firms, for example, are doing a brilliant job of applying a good mindset toward really relating to clients. They're using some technology effectively so that they can reduce their cost of production of work, pass that on as a favorable or advantageous pricing for the client, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many examples today. In fact, I, I focus on the evolution of technology and law. And let me tell you, that is a fire hose. That is a fire hose and nobody turns that off. If yeah. I'm doing a, a presentation, I gather information overnight before the presentation and say, while you were sleeping, a global firm X invested another $60 million in software that's going to write contracts, et cetera. You, you know the gist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th things are changing all the time. But let's get back to the question I asked earlier, which is why are some leaders successful and others seem to fail or struggle? And obviously you're bringing in the human element, the, you know, it seems like almost the, the, we talked about the entrepreneurial element. We talk about the human element. So what else are you seeing as far as like, are there specific either attributes or skills that leaders need to learn that you could talk through two or three of them as it relates to what would make them successful or more successful? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, it, it is very much a skill and it is learned by doing, and it's learned by listening to counterparts. Some firm leaders are in little groups with other firm leaders and they can exchange stuff. Yep. They can try stuff. And sometimes maybe it's you or me having the privilege of counseling and guiding. I was meeting with a leadership team uh, in the last 24 hours. And one of the comments I shared with them, and I think they accepted it, was, guess what? You have a lot less control right now than you'd like to have. And you feel it's incumbent upon you to make a lot of brilliant decisions. Well, guess what? No disrespect, but you're not equipped to make those decisions. Nobody is. There's too much uncertainty present. So sometimes it's just a matter of having someone hold that mirror up and say, you know what? You can go to sleep tonight without having made every decision and you're still okay. You're still doing a good job. Got it. Got it. Let me ask you this question. This might be, I don't know if this is off topic or it's on topic, but there's been a push lately I've been seeing where law firms are being run by CEOs. They're bringing in a CEO versus a managing partner who's a lawyer who's taking X amount of his or her time away from billing, away from business development to be in that managing partner role and, and sort of managing things. What do you think about that model, good or bad or indifferent? Well, let's go to reality. Let's go to reality. I mean, before the pandemic, when I was still flying like a crazy person, one of my last retreats was in Bangkok. And it was for an Australian firm. It's the fastest growing law firm in Australia for several years running. It is highly, highly profitable. Its growth is fueled by the ability to attract amazing talent. They're a delicious law firm. And they are run by a CEO and have been for something like 14 years. Wow. This CEO is from the accounting profession. In England, there seemed, and I'm, I know I'm jumping uh, here from Australia to England. That's but in not England, good. That's, that's all right. We're taking a journey. <laughs> a journey. England has been open to understanding that professionals in various walks, like if they have a PhD who was the head of marketing for Procter & Gamble or some other brilliant person dealing with data or technology or whatever, they understand that those people have an amazing contribution to make. 
no disrespect because I'm an North American. I mean, I was born and raised in Canada. So, you know, uh, slide me into the U.S. I'll be one with my brothers and sisters in the U.S. for a minute. We're horrible. We're horrible about trusting a quote unquote non-lawyer from having a leadership position. Oh, my goodness. How could a person without a law degree who hasn't practiced law possibly know anything about marketing or business development or whatever? Now, I'll get to the punchline. You asked a question. The best CEOs who are not lawyers are knocking it out of the ballpark. And the firms that we're looking at that are the global leaders know how to tap people like that. And the the those of us with messed up mindsets who don't know how to let someone like that lead. Well, last example, the former leader of an 800 engineering engineer firm uh, was hired by a major law firm. And he said to me, looked me in the eye and said, Jerry, they won't let me buy paper clips. We just don't let those people do anything if we have the wrong mindset. So, yeah, the potential is for them to hit it out of the park. If we're willing to let them do it, we win. Yeah. So is that sort of the future then of bigger law firms or mid-market law firms in the U.S. is if they're willing and able to, you know, bring in the talent and let someone that has a stronger business mind to run things and let the lawyers be the lawyers and let the marketing people be the marketing people, et cetera? When my great, 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 great grandchildren are just turning 80, yes, maybe. Uh, Before then, well, I'm just not seeing any receptivity. I'm just seeing, I mean, the legal, remember, the legal profession is so fragmented. It's so fragmented. Like, think accounting. The big four firms have, what's Pricewaterhouse? Over a quarter of a million people. And that's probably old news. It's probably over 300, 400,000 by now uh, since I last looked. Largest law firm in the world has a few thousand lawyers. As one of my colleagues put it once, if you took the, one of the largest law firms in the world and put it on the eyeball of the smallest big four accounting firm, it wouldn't interfere with their vision. Mm. So we're too fragmented and we yeah. don't have the budgets to let people explore and do the right kinds of things. So no disrespect. Again, I love the profession, but jeepers, I'm not seeing the forward thinking you'd have to see for that future you just touched on. Yeah. So if just, I'm going to put this out there as a general statement. If you're a lawyer 10 years in working at a firm and you see this kind of dysfunction or you see poor leadership or you see the fragmentation, they're not, their eyes not on the ball. Is it, what are you thinking as a 10 year senior associate or junior partner at a firm like that? Well, I'll riff from this speech. Every day that the firm has you working for them, they must earn you and deserve you. And you, person, must be worthy of being paid what that firm is paying you. And that has to be true every day. And I'll tell you what, if there's a listener or two who feels that, as you said, they're in a dysfunctional situation, they're being very challenged, the firm doesn't get it, whatever, Think about your options because it's never been easier. It sounds so complicated to manage a firm and to have your own firm. Never been easier because the tools and the resources are available even to tiny firms now. Really good stuff. Yeah, you don't need so you don't need to hire anybody. You don't need your own space. You don't need all the technologies about automation. So while scary, yes, going out on your own, certainly scary. To your point, never been easier, never been more automated, never been lower overhead to do it. And especially if you have clients you can bring over, I mean, you might be starting off in a really good position. Where I think lawyers struggle though is 
when they're being stuck in a worker bee. And again, if they want to be in the worker bee model, that's their choice. But if they know that the future is having their own clients and getting out there, they can get stuck and they don't have clients to take with them. They don't have the interest or capacity to start their own firm. And now they can't change firms because the recruiters I talk to, they're still saying it's a half a million you know, of portable to get where you want to go, to go anywhere. So, you know, that they're, you know, they're, they can be in a bit of a pickle too. So the lesson to that individual who's listening and maybe feeling this is ignore the fact that the firm doesn't train you well enough, supplement your training, reach out to Steve to talk about business development, you know, get that training, get it, fine tune it. Secondly, you better have a vision. You can be critical all day. Which of us has not been uh, critical of every restaurant we've ever been in? Oh, they can improve this, but yeah. It's a, it's a hobby for me. It's a good hobby, but here it goes. The mirror is a good friend of this lawyer who's listening and you're envisaging here, Steve. And this is what the lawyer has to do. You have to articulate at least to yourself and to Steve if he asks, who do you want to serve? What is this clientele you want to serve? Hopefully it's overlapping with people you know how to serve a little bit. Sure. And number two, what do you want to do for them? And if you're being critical of the firm where you now are, what could you do better in a platform you created than this firm is doing now? Because unless you've got those two punchlines, you know you have a vision for what you want to do. And you can explain to me or Steve how you're going to do it better. Maybe you should stay where you are and not run around too fast. And just just stay humble. But darn it, if you're feeling it, the world is yours if you want it. Yeah, well, that's great. And it's a great way to wrap things up, Jerry. If And just, you know, I appreciate you and I appreciate so much the wisdom that you bring to the show today or have brought. If people want to reach out to you and learn more about what you do with Edge International, how do they do that? Well, we have the shortest URL in the world. It's just the word edge.ai, like artificial intelligence. That comes from that Anguilla, British West Indies, where I have lived for 25 years. So edge.ai. And if you look up Jerry Riskin, you'll find my blog and lots of contact info. And, and look, if you're a listener of Steve's, I am your friend. So you, you're not going to get a bill because you reach out to me and want to chat about something for a little while. You're going to be talking to a friend of Steve's who is glad that I made your acquaintance to Steve. So reach out all you want. That's super thoughtful, Jerry. I appreciate it. And again, I, you know, it's just, there's so much going on and we just need a level head sometimes to kind of lay things out the way it really is. And I think you did that today in spades. So I just, thanks again for taking your time and I enjoyed having you. And I want to make sure we don't let the gap happen like we just did between the last time we saw each other. So we'll definitely have to keep it in closer touch. It's been an honor, Steve, really. It's an honor to be on your show. Wow. And thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. And hey, everybody, listen, if you didn't get a couple of good ideas or takeaways from listening to our show today and in Jerry's wisdom, then you're not paying attention. You're not uh, (laughs) you're trying to multitask with too many things is probably my guess. But listen, the goal here, as usual, is to be that lawyer, someone who's confident and someone that's organized and most importantly, a skilled rainmaker, getting your own business, making up your own mind. What's the future? What's your vision to Jerry's point? So uh, listen, have a great rest of the day. Be safe. Be well. And we will see you again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer. Life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. 
For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.